happy to have you here, Maxi. Thank, Thank you, you for coming. Could you roast me for five minutes straight? I don't know, Fabio. It'd be pretty <laughs> difficult, but uh, I really like the pocket square that you got for yeah. your MS picnic table. That's <laughs> that's a pretty weak I roast. Open it. We can put it right here. I love when I love when attractive people want to get roasted because they really just want compliments about them. I th I wasn't looking for compliments. <laughs> I'm looking, this is what I'm looking for. Like yeah. YouTube, you see the thing, she roasted the hose for three minutes straight. Oh, then yeah. Then they click on it, then they get you. With no prep, that was evil. No. I only got two <laughs> shots in. And that's the awesome thing about, I guess, stand-up. Mm -hmm. It's like, how much of it is a prep? How much of it is it like, because to us, mere mortals, it seems <laughs> like you just got up there and then you're like, just out of your brain, things are coming out of your mouth, like funny right. stuff. And that's the trick is to make things that you've written ages before then seem spontaneous and seem very loose and natural rather than scripted and like you've said them a million times before. But the honest answer is the more prepared we are, the more we know exactly what we want to do, the less we're thrown when things come up in the moment that then we can roll with and improvise with. And there's some comics who their entire style is to riff practically the entire time, but even of those, most of them have some framework they're working with of something they planned or little things they've used before that they know always work and from crowd to crowd, it'll seem new to that crowd, so it'll still seem like they've never said it before. There's a lot of hidden keys. Hidden keys. So what's your like go-to, like when, when things are going terrible on stage, what's your like, okay, let me just live <laughs> my lifesaver. <sighs> well, I usually go to some very hokey jokes about the difference between men and women and, you know, sex stuff that always usually brings the room back because it's so basic. Yeah, I feel uh, bad for your boyfriend. <laughs> A lot of people do. A lot of people feel bad. I never say mean things about him, though. The hard part is he is a wonderful guy and it's so hard finding stuff about him to make fun of that I kind of have to make fun of how crappy I am then instead. <laughs> that's really funny. I think those are the, from, from your stand-up that I've watched, that's usually the, the funniest part. I'm like, man, like poor guy. And then I didn't know, is there a guy? Is she taking like a, an amalgamation of like all the men in her life and then all her friends, boyfriends? Right, 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 right. Together into this one, imaginary dude. Guy, that's a really good question. I do sort of mix and blend the guys. The the guy that I talk about currently is definitely his own species, but all the prior guys, I've lumped together all the bad ones in a certain way so that I can just talk about them as a group. And the more I can generalize a group, the, the, the better related it is than if I'm talking about someone specifically that not everyone knows. But if I'm talking about this kind of guy in general, a lot more people seem to latch on. So yeah, I group them and they no longer get names in my stories. So guys, beware. Yeah. So tell me about your music. You also have your band. Yes. And I'm like, well, this girl's on fire. She's doing like stand up, she's acting, she has a band. Just um, doing everything I can possibly dream about while I'm here because, uh, you know, you pay a lot to live in LA mm -hmm. financially and spiritually. And so I'm trying to make the most of being here. And yeah, I'm a drummer in a band and we're called Mick and Maxie. We had a horrible pop, pop punk name a couple years ago. And then we decided to just make it a two piece of us because we we're the most reliable members. And ever since then, um, my bandmate Mick has been forcing me to, uh, do vocals on some songs and that's led to me songwriting for us and so now it's a little bit more of a shared shared uh, creative process that's really cool if you had to pick one what would you pick like between acting and music you know i was thinking about it a lot this week i've had a lot going on where i've always tried to do all of them but it's starting to reach a point where i'm thinking i need to pick quote unquote and uh I was thinking, man, it'd be hard to give up acting because of all the cool places it could take me and all the variety of roles and people I would get to play. And then I stopped and I thought, man, comedy has taken me some really cool places. I think if I just did comedy, I could do that the rest of my days and still find so much variation in it. It's hard. When I was young, uh, I always loved music. I'm a, what you would call like, what, what's the uh, English term when like you had a dream that you wanted to have and then it never happened? 
Pipe dream? Bucket list? Maybe Pipe dream. <laughs> something like that. We have like in in Spanish it would be like that was like my I'm a frustrated musician because mm. I was never able to like realize it and make yeah. it happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just picked I picked film. Like all my friends, I, I grew up with a, a lot of talented musicians. Like I grew up in Havana, like in Cuba there's so many good musicians. Yeah. And I was like, Yeah, I'm not that good. Like I, I better stick with the cameras and, and you actually had that conscious moment? Did that oh, come yeah. in one time or was it a long process? Yeah, no, no, no. Pretty early on. Uh, with some of my friends, we had a boy band. Nice! What were you called? Uh, the Seventh Union. Oh, Terrible that's name. dark and sexy and cheesy at the same time. Terrible that's great. Name. So it was a Christian boy band. Hell yeah. To make matters worse. <laughs> and like we used to make music and I used to like help my friend write and then we like we did a couple albums and music videos. You put in the work. Yeah, we were like 14 so it wasn't like crazy but for us like it was really good so yeah. towards the end of that I started doing more and more film and then most of the, my other friends that were either playing the bass or playing drums or singing or producing music or doing this. And then I went the route of like editing software, graphic design, then shooting and like putting all that together. So I did a lot of acting growing up too. So I started acting when I was like four, what? the way to like, since I was a teenager, then I started directing plays. And then it was like, okay, so the acting mixed with the computers and the editing and the photography and cinematography and all that together comes together makes sense yeah and then it was like yeah there's a lot of musicians everyone is gonna do their thing i'm going to like run for this so i was really like 15 16. wow so when did you have the the moment of like this I, i'm crazy enough that this is what i want to torture my, <laughs> myself with for the rest of my life uh, you know, uh, I came to it really late. I never was the person doing theater in high school or anything. I was always training really hard with horses, and it wasn't until I was graduating college and I was just wrapping up. You were, my... sorry, you were training with horses? Yeah, uh, horseback riding. Yeah, expand. Uh, <laughs> you cannot say, yeah, horses. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it used to be my entire identity. Like, I was the horse girl. I was the go-to. Uh, I was the weird horse girl at my school, obviously. You were like the day, jockey, like racing? Um, or like showing so like if anyone's ever watched dressage at the Olympics it's kind of like dressage. that dressage but dressage. I am we, so, we so make the horses amazing. like it looks like we're just going around in circles but we're really showing off the talents of the horses and I'm like mimicking their hooves in the air <laughs> as I'm thinking about it um, basically showing off like how well bred this horse is by how magnificent you can make it look in the ring and how well you can ride it and like a lot of technical nerdy stuff that only horse people would look at and be interested in so i i didn't have a lot of like friends coming out to see me do this every day after school i was training and missing school for shows so that was my entire life up through college wow. and then um i thought i was going to go into training and for Lots of reasons, I just walked away from the horses and I had to figure out what is my identity, who am I without that, because it was the one thing I'd been so good at and so confident in for so long that um, the past 10 years of trying acting and then trying stand-up and making a few films and music videos just to get to know those muscles and writing things, all of it just sort of was an exploration of things I had thought about when I was a kid wanting to try but never gotten to try. So it was only in the last couple of years that I realized, okay, this isn't just me trying to get my childhood bucket list out of the way. This is actually something I want to do, which thank God, because I now don't know where I would go and what I would start doing. <laughs> so you finally figured out, okay, this is what I want to do. But I bet it doesn't go from, oh yeah, I want to do this to, oh, now I'm starting in the movie that just came out. Right. So tell me about that in between where are you from? How do you end up landing here in, in the crazy city that we are? I am from Seattle and I went to school in Baltimore. I chose after college to uh, go to New York Film Academy because I had never acted before. So I thought I need to catch up and it was kind of a crash landing, crash course in acting. So a year in New York, a year in LA, and then you're out on your own. and. Um, 
spent the next several years just taking classes and trying to figure out what I was supposed to be doing. I didn't know how to act and that seemed like the least of the problems because the rest of it was marketing yourself and getting in front of casting directors and all sorts of things. So uh, did that for several years, grinding, was feeling like it wasn't going anywhere. I had a few small successes, but just enough to be like beginner's luck it felt like. So uh, I kind of put the acting on the side for a couple years. I started doing stand-up and the pandemic was when I started refiguring out the acting and the marketing of myself so that I could actually uh, control what I could control and not feel so helpless as an actor waiting around to be called. I actually like got in some short films that some people who were finally able to do their passion project because of the pandemic were doing and it, um, yeah, like all the years that I'd spent testing everything out kind of came together to finally paying off. <laughs> So how many years did it take from you coming here doing uh, Film Academy to where you feel almost like this is like your full-time thing? And because something that people don't understand is that even if you're working and doing mm -hmm. things, it's like, yes, you're going to have like a few weeks that you're doing something that you're getting paid for. And then it's like after the next one and after the next one. Yep. And you go so long in between without work. Uh, I worked like five day jobs when I first got out here to make ends meet and it wasn't until a couple years in that I was going, what am I doing? Like I'm working so many day jobs that even when an audition does come in, I can't really take advantage of it. I feel tired, I don't have time to enjoy it. I, I'm barely paying for acting class. And uh, so at one point I quit all my jobs and I rolled off of credit card debt just to see the feeling of what it would be like to be a full-time actor. And now in the last couple of years, I finally accepted that there's no shame as an actor here in having your day job because it makes it stable. So you're not worrying about, I have to get this role and it really takes the pressure off. So now I found that balance, but it was a cool experiment to be feeling what it would feel like to be someone who just wakes up and gets to be an actor if the work comes in. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's so difficult. I don't know how you guys keep going at it over and over and over again, because there are so many things that need to line up for you to get that role. For me as a director or a producer, like I just get a phone call, hey, we got this project, like it shoots in three days, we need this location, we need this many people, we're shooting with this camera package, go make it happen. And then it doesn't matter if I'm tall, short, blonde, brunette, yeah. it doesn't matter. So what keeps you going after it over and over again? I mean, as a side note, I don't envy you either. I think you have it just as hard because we're all constantly in the gig economy trying to line up the next gig and wonder where it's going to be. And if you, even if you're enjoying a current job, wondering how long it's going to last. So I think we're all kind of in the same pool, but, um, I still believe it's harder for you guys as performers because for me, if I don't get the gig, uh, you know, it's not about who I am or mm -hmm. like, am I good enough or like, it's not so personal. Did I, you have to audition for I don't audition for the job. Yeah. I almost like you get a phone call because another person recommended you or like you go up to someone and say, oh yeah, I produced this before. like. For you guys, I think there's so much like courage and grit that you have to keep over and over and over to keep going for auditions. And, and now you going on stage and like, <laughs> oh my God. Well, thank you. It, there's definitely um, an emotional element to trying to keep your head up when you're unemployed a lot because that is very depressing and that is like a constant struggle for all of us who've chosen to do this. But as far as not getting a role or getting quote unquote rejected, I guess I've just been here long enough that now I know if it's a no, I still have faith that I am good enough to have gotten it. A couple years in, I would have thought, man, I'm no good. I would have questioned, should I even be here? And every year, the more I train, the harder I work, the better I get, the more confident I am that no, I'm not going anywhere. Getting rejected doesn't mean I'm going home. It just means, they didn't pick me, but I'm still good enough to have booked it. They just went with someone else. Yeah. So what's the craziest day job that you had that you hated the most? <laughs> oh, I don't even know if I should talk about this one. Um, 
it's just so bizarre. I, oh, cool. I'm gonna go to jail. Uh, you know what? I, I'm not gonna say it, but I bartended. The, sec the second worst. It was related to, it was related to college admissions and that's why I won't say anything about it because now I'm thinking maybe that could get me in trouble or someone. Anyway, second worst. Um, I was a bartender at a place that was so, I'm still convinced it was a money laundering scheme because okay. everything was always cash. Um, Were you making a lot of money? I was making decent money, but a couple times while we were working, the bosses got hauled off in handcuffs and the other boss would be like, it's okay, it's just the water department, we didn't pay our bill on time. And I'm like, water oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a little sketchy, but probably one of my favorite jobs ever, ever because it, I didn't have to think too hard. I'd just show up, don't ask any questions, pour some drinks and be gone. Yeah, it sounds like my... <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> um, you show up. Oh, and we'd each get a security guard assigned to us at the bar, but they never really did a very good job of stopping anything from happening to me. Like one time a girl came up, spit on me, ran into the crowd, and I was going to leap the bar to go after her. I don't know Were what you I would have done. Were going to punch her in the face? I don't know. I, I felt like I would have, but then I probably wouldn't have. But uh, yeah, the security guard right next to me did nothing, but then later texts to be telling me about how he has some like movie offer for me and now that he knows that I'm an actress we should really discuss this and when I turned him down that was the only smart thing I ever did in LA was going mm, red flag and said no and he harassed me from that moment on so hard like well then I'm never considering you for my movies again. I'm never going, too bad on you, you missed out. You could have been a star and all this crap. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, you're working security at a nightclub. I don't, that's nothing against that, but I think you're pretending to be a little more than you are right now. It was just insane that he got that mad. Still a little scary. <laughs> that is pretty crazy. So now that you're doing stand-up, I know mm -hmm. you were traveling and going to other countries and all that. Tell me about those, those shows. How did that go? Oh, so fun. Uh, so I just got back from Amsterdam and it was my second time there performing for Boom Chicago Comedy Festival, but it's in Amsterdam. It's just homage to uh, Chicago and they've had a lot of um, Famous comedians come through there, like Seth Meyers, Jason Sudeikis, uh, Jordan Peele, a lot of people who trained in improv there, and I would never have known it existed, and I got to go over there and perform in their festival, and it was incredible. When I think about the places comedy could take me, I never would have thought about international venues, but it was so fun because so much of it translated. They have a lot of expats over there who speak English and a lot of the Dutch speak English going to this English speaking comedy theater. So it really was just like training for a marathon and then getting to run the actual marathon on training day is just like the frosting on top. So the jokes land kind of the same way? They did. And whatever they didn't get, if there was a reference or something, they were still on board for the rest of it. They didn't just, you know, toss you off and say, okay, we don't like you. Like enough got through that it surprised me. I always thought performing in a foreign country would be a lot less understood and very scary, but um, maybe other countries are, but it was one of the best crowds I could ask for. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So tell me about this film and you just came out with a, a movie. You're the the big star. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So at the beginning of the year, I was starting this like success breakthrough workshop that was like state your goals specifically. And I was like, I want to be the lead in a feature film. And then I get an audition for a shark movie where sharks are in space and I'm the commander of the ship. I don't want to give anything else away, but um, my manifestation came true. I was the lead in it. And it was as ridiculous as you would want a Sharknado type film to be. We were on set having arguments about the science behind the sharks on the moon. And every five minutes we had to be like, you guys, there are sharks on the moon. At some point, we're just gonna have to accept some of this stuff. And they're out of the water. They're out of the water. They're half human. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Once I embraced it and stopped stressing about how good my performance what? was, because at one point I just said, Maxie, you're in a movie about sharks on the moon. Yeah, and you're, have fun with it. Your performance is because I, I saw the trailer. I haven't seen the full film yet. I'm waiting uh -huh. for uh, Reginald to all sit down and watch the movie. Because oh. my friend Reggie is also in the Yeah. Film. And I saw the trailer. You're acting like this is like alien and like very like serious and like ah. And then you're <laughs> so you did pretty good. Thanks. <laughs> I was really happy with it. I was like, this is great practice for hopefully ever being in the lead of a action sci-fi horror movie. Yeah. But hey, you're in a movie, and that's all that matters. And at the end of the day, like making a movie is so hard. Yeah. Even the people making the Shark in the Moon movie, they're trying super hard to make the thing work. Well, that's what, before we started recording uh, Catch Everyone Up, we were talking about in terms of me trying to be more careful about what I make fun of on stage, because something that we take for granted that might be funny of like, oh, it's commonly accepted that shark movies would be a little ridiculous, but someone is working very hard on it. There's a whole army of it, um, graphic people who didn't sleep for a couple weeks to get it in on time. There's the writer who, you know, worked really hard to and came to set every day. He didn't have to do that to help us make the movie so that it would work well. And so many people who really earnestly were working hard on this thing. And that's the type of place where I'm like, I don't really want to make fun of that because I couldn't have been in a movie without all these people putting the pieces together. Yeah. Where was the like the writer and the director? Were they trying to make it funny, or they were trying to make it like very serious, like horror type? We were going for serious. I could see places in the script where, with more time to prepare, we could have maybe made it into a tongue-in-cheek moment. Certain places, but it did turn into mostly just um, face value. Yeah, serious. But they they did a pretty good job because the the creature is is pretty solid. The creature looks good. And you guys shot, you guys finished shooting like not too long ago and yeah. then the movie came out yes. like so quick. I was yeah. very surprised that they got the editing done so quickly. They, as far as I know, were not sleeping. I visited the studio to do ADR um, a couple weeks ago. <laughs> and A couple weeks ago? Exactly, you were exactly. Wow. They were all hands on deck. Uh, I mean, I know there were couches in that building, so I'm sure they were sleeping on them a lot of the time. Yeah, they probably just had the deadline had to do it. When I did my feature, I spent about like two weeks that I was only like sleeping like four or five hours and like just working really hard on it. So yeah. uh, the movie, you can watch it on Tubi. Tubi. And yeah. now that the movie is out, I'm curious, what has been your role with any marketing or promotion or like that side of it? Yeah. How does that work? Um, surprisingly, there's been very little promotion, or maybe there's been promotion, but as far as they haven't asked any of us to do panels or Comic-Con or anything, there's speculation that they would, but, um, I don't know what their plans are for that, and I guess I can't really judge, you know, what they wanted their rollout plan to be, but I know all of us would have been happy to show up and promote the movie in some way. Every single one of my cameras, my phone, my laptop, they all have an AlphaGuard skin. This is a really cool design that you can put on, take off. Check out that link in the description. You can get a really nice discount if you use the code REDAXE10. So you were saying before that you had to be careful with what things are you talking about and all that. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Like, what do you have to be careful with? It's like, I'm doing the podcast now. Sure. And I'm trying to not think about that. But at the same time, I know that I could say something and it could be misinterpreted. Mm -hmm. But I think, and I could be wrong, I think I need to talk about pretty much everything in my best ability until the moment comes that you say something that could be stupid and then some people could get upset. Mm -hmm. And then even then, it's like, well, I said, I could say, well, I said that. I admit that I'm wrong, or I said that, and I think that's, I'm gonna stand by it. Yeah. With um, the ability to pre-plan as I'm writing my jokes, uh, I do have more ability to stop myself if I think something's gonna be an issue, but I do think we need to give everyone a bit more latitude in terms of spur of the moment, might say something and then not realize how it comes off, because if we're censoring ourselves as we're saying everything, there's no, I think the same people who, hmm, 
sorry, how do I want to say this? <laughs> like if so I'm, you're going to think about how exactly. To say. Well, if I'm writing a joke and I even question whether it could be a problem, then I start getting into, well, how much do I want to defend it if it is a problem? Or is it not that funny? Because I don't even want to put the energy into that. Um, and so I'll kind of strike jokes based on that, but I'm not judging all of them that way. Just if a few come to me and I think that could be problematic, I'll have that discussion in my head and of whether or not it's even worth going down that road. But sometimes in the moment, I'll you know, try something new or uh, a bit won't be finished. And now that we're taping stuff and having to make material so much faster, we have less time to fine tune it and people are seeing unfinished products and they, the demand is such for good, sharp, the best comedy that's off the wall that they haven't heard before, that's not, in their words, hack. They've seen it and heard it before. They want stuff that's not boring, but in order for us to take those big swings and go for really out-of-the-box funny shit, we have to be able to try things that don't work because, you know, like any sport, nine out of 10 shots are gonna take, so we have to have some freedom to wade into murky waters, go in the gray area a little bit so that we can see if one thing is like really incredible and worth shuffling around for. Yeah. It's, it's hard, but I think, I think most true fans of comedy would give us that support and give us that understanding. I think it's people who don't understand our side of it that are quicker to jump on misspeakings of ours. So have you had any like crazy hecklers or like people that say, oh, that's shitty or like, because I don't think people are getting mad. I mean, the, your comedy is pretty funny and it's very kind of light. Like, I feel like when you're doing your bit, I don't see how someone could get mad at you. Have you got people mad at you, maybe on social media, like saying you're crazy or whatever? Um. I generally, like even stuff that I say that might be a little controversial, I try to back it up as smartly as I can and do it from a place of respect and playfulness. And the few taped sets that I've done that are out on the internet, of course I can critique places where I go, oh, that didn't make me sound good to whoever doesn't have context for what was happening in the room and I have had comments before of, you know oh, she's not funny or she shouldn't have talked about that but in I try to remember well that person didn't buy a ticket to the show and sit in that room with everyone sharing the energy that was there and mm -hmm. understanding what came before it so yes I've had the people judging the material that I'm speaking about and the way that I speak about it but for the most part people seem to get it so far Knock on wood, it stays that way. Yeah, I think as you grow and you do more shows and you try more risky things, yeah. you're definitely, it's almost like you need to have some people mad and upset at what you're saying. I think that's gonna be like a measure of like, okay, I'm right in that edge where I'm pissing some people off. Yes, uh, I love watching headliners go up who crush the room so hard with stuff that people, it's like they wish they could resist laughing at it because it's like so on the line, but it's so funny that they're shaking their heads no as they're laughing. That is my favorite thing to watch because it's like, you can't even help yourself. You don't even want to be laughing at this and yet they still pulled it out of you. That to me is genius. What are some of your favorite comedians? Oh, um, Kirk Fox. I just think he's so silly and has such a positivity and brightness to what he says. I love Tignataro. I love comedians who can get silly but also be incredibly smart. Like it's not just fart jokes and poop jokes. Their silliness comes from a place of pure intelligence and positivity. I don't know how to explain it but like they don't leave you feeling uncomfortable. They leave you feeling really happy and part of the room. Um, who else? There's a lot of my up and coming um, like comedian peers who I watch and I'm just, it's a joy to watch them. Uh, You're going to send me some of those people I've never heard yeah, of. Yeah, I will. Um, Kirk Fox just came to mind because I was doing a um, Zoom Q&A with him and it was at a time where I was really struggling with coming back to stand up after this long of a break and trying to kind of figure out 
my new approach and just figure out a lot of personal things. And he was very kind about uh, being generous with his encouragement and his perspective on it. And uh, I don't know, I just think anyone in this already hard industry doesn't have to do anything to help invite more competition in there. And so for anyone to be encouraging and positive is like pretty big gift. Yeah. Well, but I don't, I don't think it should be competition, right? Don't, do you guys feel it like that? Or I would think the more comedians we have, the more shows we have, the more chances are that you're going to open for someone or things like that. How does that work? Because I know nothing about stand-ups. Yeah, I think you're actually the first stand-up comic that I meet and yes! get to talk to. Sweet! I love it! I hope I don't ruin it for the rest! You're like, no more stand-up comics. Uh, no, you're right. Um, there are times where, like, on a lineup, I'll be put next to someone who's very similar to me. Either their material I know and I've seen is similar, or we even, like, look similar enough that I think, okay, this is gonna be a little bit hard to follow or whatever, but I'm, you're right, there is no competition. Everyone can kind of do their own thing. There's so many people running their own stand-up shows. There's so many opportunities to go up. That's one of the reasons I loved stand-up to begin with was when I was struggling with acting and feeling like I was waiting for someone to hand me a role. Even when I was making my own films and writing my own stuff, as they say to do, I still felt like I was just waiting where stand-up, it's like, Oh, if you want to get on a stage somewhere with a microphone, you, you can do it. You can find a place. Yeah, yeah, you can make a place for cheap. You can find a place, anything. Yeah, there's so much freedom that, um, yeah, I don't think there's competition. We're also different. What about social media? Because I love what you're saying of like, as a stand-up, you get to like do your thing more often. Mm -hmm. What has been your experience with like Instagram, YouTube? I've watched your stuff on YouTube but you also post things on Instagram. How do you feel about it? <sighs> I don't like posting material to Instagram because I feel like it's always in progress and I can always make it better. So I hate posting a joke that in my opinion is unfinished. But then would you post that on YouTube? Even YouTube, I keep very few videos up just so that when someone I've had it happen where when I used to keep them hidden, people would go, oh, I was gonna recommend you to someone, but we couldn't find any of your stuff. So I keep a few things up that are most recent and that I'm happy with, but I don't use social media a lot as far as giving people content there, like some comedians who are able to give their followers a new joke every day or a new fun thing. I don't concentrate my energy there just because I do do so much outside of it. Mm -hmm. But I'm grateful to the friend who um, made me start an Instagram several years ago against all my wanting to because a few times it's really paid off and that's how the coolest things have found me and the coolest opportunities happened because someone connected with me on Instagram and total improbable, but it led to me getting to perform in Amsterdam and yeah host festivals in Canada and do these cool things. My first time being flown out and paid to do a gig and just cool things that got connected with someone I wouldn't have been. Yeah, well, thanks to your friend because that's how you and I found about each other. True. Uh, I think I posted something uh, with Reggie mm -hmm. and then you saw it. I think you liked the video. And, and he then, said you were looking for people to be on the pod. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I love social media. I love, that's what we're doing the podcast. That's why I'm doing all of that. I yeah. think it's uh, super useful. Some of the coolest projects that I have been part of and some, some great friendships have been through social media. Uh, so I challenge you <laughs> to make more stuff because you, you're funny. So like you should like record it and put it out. Uh, send me all the footage. I'll cut it. I'll edit it. I'll upload it. I won't let you control it so you cannot take it down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think all the all the podcasts and like all the comedians and all that is blowing up now. Uh, there's a lot of things that are very controversial. Everyone is going for like the craziest thing that you could pose mm -hmm. or the craziest thumbnail or whatever. How do you feel about that? And how do you try to push the most that you can to go for the fresh new thing, but not fall on doing something 
nasty or like just for shock value kind of thing yeah hmm I guess I don't worry about my social media. I keep it updated for business purposes of letting people know where I'm at and be updated and see the things I'm capable of and working on. But I actually have not been doing stand-up that long compared to a lot of the people that I'm surrounded by. And so because of that, I feel like I really need to spend my time working to get better at stand-up and write better material and write more material and refine that and organize it so that I already know priority-wise, I would rather stay anonymous longer and get better than be using social media as a launch pad to get famous or seen right away without the material to back it up. And that's not saying that that's mm -hmm. what other people are doing, but I know I would fall into the trap of uh, suddenly being in a position where I don't feel I have the preparation or skills to back up what I've just sold. <laughs> Gotcha. I disagree completely. <laughs> I think you should go and like post everything, post while you're getting better, while you're learning, while it's not ready, because you never know. Especially sure. with comedy and with the things that we do sometimes, because the artist in us is trying to make it perfect, make it better, make it... But I think it's better to be posting and putting things out consistently, because gradually you're getting better. It's like doing reps at the gym. Even if you're not lifting super heavy weights, if you're lifting weights and you're doing it more often, you're gonna get stronger and, and better. Uh, so I wanted to ask you something. You said that you talk a lot about the difference between men and women. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. <laughs> what are some of the your best go-to jokes between that? And maybe we could have some fun back and forth. Oh, great. Um... Well, uh, one of the very first jokes that I ever wrote, I was super proud of because it's just some dumb wordplay, but I'm talking about how men, if they're dysfunctional, can't get it up, whereas women don't do that. Yeah, why is it? That's so, that's unfair. It's unfair. It's a... Uh, but then again, I've seen the chastity belts women had to wear in the Middle Ages, and I think it evens out. I think <laughs> it's due time for some... But it's not fair in the sense that it affects whoever's with that man. So that's kind of what I make fun of, of the fact that I'm the one suffering from it, really. So he's not suffering? No. 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 <laughs> I mean, I, I can only imagine that must feel, like for a guy, that must feel... Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was based on um, some experience. Like the premise is that guys are just getting worse excuses for not being able to get it up. Because like whiskey dick, everyone's heard of that. And whiskey what? Whiskey dick, where you get too drunk and you can't get it up. And that's pretty commonly accepted to tell someone that that's what's happening and it kind of what if he got no situation? So you're well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So some guys were starting to just give the weirdest excuses, and at some point, it was like you're obviously shy about this. Well, to, the, to the guys, the fans, it's not like he's wanting to have this problem. Of course, of course, but it's just so funny thinking you're about to do something so intimate and adult, and then suddenly you're like a shy little kid because your body part isn't working and it's so funny that in this like heat of the moment and passion and you're both doing something so carnal that suddenly you're reverting to being like little bashful toddlers who are like can't say that it's just not working it's not gonna happen tonight <laughs> it's like nothing tomorrow. to do with you let's watch a movie yeah exactly yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a tough one do women get well i guess women just get the headache is the ha women just get the headache yeah. I mean, I know that physiologically there's plenty of ways that women have probably the equivalent, but for the most part, I think it just means we say, no, we don't want to. Bye. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Now, you were saying about, um, with regards to social media, since you have so much more practice about it, seems like every comedian has a podcast or on their channel they have kind of a um what am i thinking a gimmick for what their daily post is going to be that relates okay. to their branding or who they are or something specific about them how would you 
figure out what someone should be doing as their podcast or daily post that is different from what everyone else is doing? How would you go about figuring that out? So the first thing that you have to think about is that it doesn't matter that you're thinking that you're going to be like everyone else. So throw that out of the window. It doesn't matter because mm-hmm. you're you, Maxi's Maxi. You have your eyes, your hair, your, like your way of talking. So it doesn't matter. That's number one. Number two, what I would say, the podcast, like I've been doing it for a little bit now. It's difficult. It's hard to schedule. Like it costs a lot of money to do the editing and the cameras and da, da, da. But it's so cool. Like right now, like you and I were talking here and like I'm secretly thinking, like as you're talking about all of this, I'm thinking in five to 10 years, Maxi could be doing like a big Netflix Netflix special and she's gonna call Axel to shoot it. And it's gonna be so fun. I like clapped in the microphone, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so just think about that. Yeah. In the same way that you and I are having a great conversation right now, it you could have that every week with interesting people. We're so lucky to live here in LA that you have so many like fun people and creative, smart, all the time. That's true. So it's an investment kind of that I'm looking at for the future. And I want to interview like more actors and more directors. And so that is super cool. So I will have the podcast and then from the podcast, you can do the little clips and then just put it on, on your Insta and then see what pops, see what works. And you never know, like some of our clips have gotten like 15,000 views, 20,000 views. And we have a tiny podcast that just started. Yeah. So, I think that would be super beneficial for you. Uh, you can have musicians, you can have actors, you can have me on your first episode. <laughs> so One million views. Yes, uh, 1.5, please. <laughs> so I think that could be very beneficial. And there is some part of it that will be logistics, algorithm, the platform, podcast, very boring, like super annoying. Because I work at Impact Theory with Tom Milieu. Like I'm a creative producer there at the studio. We have a large podcast, a large YouTube channel, and I'm on, on meetings every week learning new things because everything is changing. Changing all the time. constantly, yeah. For my own podcast, I apply as much as I can from the massive podcast. So in your case, you should like study the big comedians and their podcasts a little bit and then try to apply that to yours. Mm. But at the same time, like I'm just trying to get, like my goal with this is I want to get to a hundred interviews so I can hit that goal just for me and like have fun. Like whenever I talk to people, like honestly, like what makes you click and like trying to learn from people. If you do that, it's going to be funny. You're going to have a good time. So I'll think about it. Thank you for that. That is very compelling and persuasive. Yeah. Your first episode should come out next week. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Get really on it. Yes. So tell me a little bit more about the band. So we talked a little bit about it, but tell me about what are you guys doing right now? Are you writing new music? Like what's happening? When can I make the music video? Ah. Like, let's do this. Yeah. Um, well, right now we're getting right. I don't know when this episode airs, but uh, tomorrow we're playing the, uh, sorry, Saturday we're playing the Viper Room in Hollywood That's and really very cool. famous, very historic. We're very excited about that. We've played them once before. Uh, we are not confirmed, but trying to play the Troubadour, which is another great legendary rock and roll venue and slightly bigger. So we're trying to move on up. Um, we, I, basically come to the band bringing everything that I learned about marketing myself for acting and promoting myself and having professional photos and things like that and applied it to the band and I think we've seen the payoffs from that in terms of looking professional compared to some other bands on our bills at times just simple things that we can do I'm no marketing genius I'm the worst of aesthetics but I at least understand packaging in a way that makes someone know you're legit and professional and can be relied on so uh, I try to get away from that and actually get the fun of drumming in the band the rest of the time and not just be our administration or administrative personnel Uh, So right now we are working on a few new songs. We have um, a full album up on Spotify right now that are just singles that people can pick and choose and listen to, but we've got a couple more uh, in recording right now coming coming your way. So tell me about relationships in LA in general. Mm -hmm. And I'm only asking because of all your comedy that I watch. (laughs) So how has that been for you? You have been in LA, you said about nine years? Mm -hmm. 
Is it different here from Seattle or like? Uh, I feel a little in Arrested Development in LA. I've definitely what run into- What does in, that mean? Like I am several years delayed in development. Like as a, in my 20s, trying to date in LA was pretending I was trying to find something serious, but really realistically, I was just learning and exploring. And that's why I have so many bad dating stories because of course I was dating people who I wouldn't want to be with long-term. What's your worst dating story? Oh, I could ask that. And um, I, there are the ones that are like legit traumatic. And I know everyone's going for like the funny bad one. And there's plenty of funny bad ones, uh, thankfully to even those out. Um, hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten stood up. Yeah. You, you didn't uh, go to prison, right? Like the job. No, but the, um, shit. I remember, uh, I've actually blanked out on so much because these guys were just so unimportant. Um, but I remember yeah. one of them, I mean, most of the time it just ends up making me look bad. I was dating this guy who didn't drink and I was too immature to understand that that's like, I just, I, I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to- That he couldn't drink? That he couldn't drink and I didn't know how to operate around it. it he was fine with it, but I was the one being super weird about it. So you wanted him to drink? I wasn't, I wasn't trying to make him drink. I just didn't know how I could be able to drink without someone, with someone being stone cold sober and me thinking I was being, well, I was being very obnoxious. So I was worried about being judged the entire time for whatever I was going to do while drunk by someone completely sober. Oh, and that was my that. first experience. And so of course I just got shit canned. We were at a Halloween party and I was mixing monster and champagne and- Monster like the energy drink? Yes. It was like a Red Bull vodka, but Halloween. <laughs> and I got so shit faced and I thought I was being sexy and I kept like beckoning him to the dance floor to dance with me, trying to show that I was trying to include both of us in this good time. And he sat there and wouldn't come join me. And he was obviously just like pissed, disgusted with me at that point, but sticking around. So I was like, well, okay, if you won't dance with me, I grabbed the nearest guy and started dancing with him. Why didn't he go out and dance with you? He's crazy. He later said, I'm shy, I'm awkward. I don't feel comfortable like on a dance floor and you were making me uncomfortable wanting me to do that. None of this was articulated to me. He was just silently fuming in the chair as far as I could tell. You and, uh, were also drunk on Monster and I was also I drunk, he would have but I do remember drunk. that vengeful thought in my head of like, well, fucker, if you won't dance with me, I'm gonna see someone who will. <laughs> uh, that's why I don't drink much anymore. It's <laughs> funny, yeah, I don't, I don't drink much, only yeah. like on rare occasions. Yeah. And like whenever I, I've gone out with my friends and like everyone is drinking. I'm like, yeah, this is dumb. I want to go home and like get some work done or something. Yeah. And that's what, yeah, I find for one thing, I don't have time to feel like crap the entire next day and be without sleep. Sleep is very important to me. And um, it's like one of the biggest things I make fun of in my stand up about my current relationship, about needing my sleep. And in stand-up, thankfully, with the late nights, I don't drink until my set is over, and I won't stick around long after my set if the show's done, so I really just like get, if it, I only get to relax and have a drink and hang out with the other comics if I've done my set and there's the rest of the night that I'm sticking around, that to me is like, okay, this is a good reward. I'm done, I'm hanging out, this is me having fun. It's one drink, but I'm like, this is me partying. <laughs> That's so funny. So you don't drink a little bit to like get loose before mm -hmm. the show? What do you do before the show? You don't get the like, I'm nervous, I suck at this, people are gonna boo me up. No, I fucking love it. It's like, it's like being a racehorse about to go on the track. It's like adrenaline and uh, I only get a negative nervous if I feel unprepared, but usually I'm like, let me at that stage. I'm so excited. Uh, I don't drink because I have difficulty enough um, like articulating my words and remembering <laughs> things. And in Amsterdam, I, I did my set 
and I was celebrating, I was done, it had gone so well, and then they asked me to host the next show, which meant doing another 15 minutes of material, and I'm like tongue-tied with champagne mouth right now. I've already had enough to drink that I can feel it, I'm spitting, I'm up on the mic trying to host, and I'm like, my face is sweating. <laughs> it was not pretty, and that's why I don't drink while doing stand-up. I'm pretty sure everyone in the audience was already shit-faced. Yeah, it was fine. It ended up not being important. You need a little monster. Yeah, that's right, to brighten it up and counteract it. Yeah, alcohol for me is like, I don't know, I don't, I don't really like it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have learned to have a, a drink here and there in the last year or so, so my uh, roommate Abraham, he really likes drinking, so okay. tequila is... Yeah! Really, like, I remember one time, something happened and we said, okay, let's go, like, we're gonna be out tonight. It ended up being, like, Abraham, our friend, uh, Viato, and me at uh, Viato's uh, tailor shop in Melrose. Oh! The three of us just listening to reggaeton and drinking nice. uh, the margaritas when you add the juice with the with the tequila mm -hmm. and we're just like dancing and stuff awesome. we ended up that's the first time i got drunk uh we ended up at the beach the next morning we just went we were like let's go watch you stayed out all night all night dancing good job. Good three job. dudes not <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> Not the wild night that you would think of being a, you know, like a director in LA. And then we ended up going to the beach to like see the sunset. Oh. And then there were some kids that came with their mom. It was a Sunday and they came to the beach and there's like the three of us who were three sitting there. Three drunk dudes only. <laughs> playing more reggaeton at 7.30 in the morning. They know what you're up to. But that's so good. That's all you really want out of a party. I've done the freaking club scene and bottle service and it's just so it feels so empty unless you're there with people you love and like want to hang out with i don't need to do that anymore with strangers i like a good dive bar if i need to be by myself and just sit down but yeah. like i don't feel i don't spend enough time with my friends so i don't feel like spending any of my valuable time on complete strangers who don't care about me mm -hmm. in a club scene so Maxi, what do you would love to do if money was not an issue, time was not an issue, and you could do anything you wanted with your life? Uh, I would definitely go get some horses and start a horse farm and teach some kids to ride and uh, have some nonprofits going out of there. So instead of like the celebrity that has a restaurant, just be the celebrity that has a barn and come to Maxi's barn. Just have a shit ton of horses for like kids programs and and um yeah that's what i would love to have maxi's bar yeah that sounds really fun uh it worked for me to keep kids out of trouble putting them with horses so well i mean i guess that's debatable depending on if you ask my dad if i stayed out of trouble or not but um i think it's good for kids <laughs> yeah that sounds like a great idea hopefully you get to make that pretty soon thank you Awesome. Well, Maxi, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a blast. I cannot wait to come and see. I want to see you live, so you have to let me know next time you're playing so we can come and watch you. We'd love that. And thank you for uh, coming over. Thank you for having me. Yeah. If you want to learn more about Hollywood, the entertainment business, acting, producing, check out this interview. It's really good. I have a good sit down and a really honest talk about how to advance in your career and just, you know, what happens in life when you're trying to make movies or pursue your dreams in Hollywood.